the mic is hot, and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we are talking about cool downs, whether or not you should do them. Um, So we're going to get deep into it. Uh, I have my own beliefs firmly uh, on one side. Uh, just based on research, and we're going to go over uh, a big review of research uh, today to talk about cool downs. So, so you can have the best information when you're um, executing a training session, or if you're an athlete, so you can have the best information for yourself later in life, um, and maybe form your own opinions because uh, we will provide the um, PDF link uh, for this article as well, so you'll be able to read it for yourself, you know, and, and make your own, uh, draw your own conclusion at that point. So. Uh, but to start, Claire's going to tell us her experience with cool downs um, and give her opinion here. Yeah. So I've always done cool downs. I think in every, I say every, I've really done like two sports, but in both of those sports, I've done active cool downs after practice in competitions. Um, so I, kind of have the perspective of doing cool downs and they're going to help you. They're beneficial. Um, So when I was a swimmer, we cooled down after every practice and depending on the coach, some of them were more involved cool downs. Some were shorter and it was just like a hundred meters of, you know, pretty slow length per stroke, um, things like that. In cross country, we would typically do, cool downs after workouts. We never really did them after like a, an easy run or a long run. Um, we just kind of stopped. Um, but after workouts, we would do cool downs, whether it was like 10 minute easy jog, um, and then stretching, um, and then both swimming and track, I guess I would say definitely always a cool down after each event out of a competition or a meet, um, and then typically a warm back up <laughs> before each event at meets. So that's my experience with it. Um, I would say personally, like thinking about cool downs, I, I don't really feel strongly one way or another about them. I think I can see how potentially after a workout, doing a cool down or like doing some sort of um, like lower intensity activity made me feel good. Um, But also now when I work out, I just kind of leave the gym. Like I don't really cool down or do anything um, after. So um, yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or another. So I guess I'm kind of Switzerland in this argument or in this topic. Um, So I'm interested to hear your thoughts, obviously, and maybe kind of play devil's advocate. Yeah, uh, that'll be great. Um, uh, My question to you is, I I know you run too, right? You still run. So do you partake in cool downs after you run? Um, No, especially because now I'm not really doing like workouts. I just will go for like an easy run typically. Mm -hmm. Um, I will always do some form of warm up though. Yeah. 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 Uh, secondary question, kind of off topic, but you mentioned swimming and cool downs. Did you guys call them warm downs? Some coaches did. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's always interesting to me too, is that terminology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and I have seen that 
like here and there, or like sometimes you see it on, on Instagram. I feel like sometimes it's more common in like different parts of the country or maybe in different, Mm -hmm. different countries that, uh, terminology, but I always refer to it as a cool down. Yeah. Like I get it right. You warm up maybe. And then they're like, Oh, I guess we got to warm down or something, but you Mm -hmm. know, the warm and then cool thing kind of, kind of makes sense to me as well. So I just think it's funny that swimming is where I've heard that the most, not any other, yeah, not any other place. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to read through this article word for word or like section by section because that would be super boring podcast. Um, I'm going to just kind of break cool downs down uh, in particular. And then um, I'm just going to hit some highlights that I want to talk about um, based on the research of the different areas uh, of cool downs that people typically think it helps and uh and then get into what the research said overall so this is a a narrative review it's um like a meta-analysis where they took many different types of articles together that had active and passive cooldowns um and the comparison between the two so there's a lot of different groups that are involved um like test subject groups that are involved in this and there are a lot of different methods that were involved um for active cooldown versus passive cooldown um, just to be of note, none of these studies include um, cold water immersion, massages, or other similar types of recovery strategies as well. This is strictly the active cooldown versus passive cooldown. Um, so just be aware of that as we go through this. So to start it all off, uh, here you go. I am not a believer in cooldowns. Not at all. I mean, I, if people have listened to the podcast already, I don't agree with static stretching uh, before activity. And now you're hearing me say it after activity, I am not a believer in active cooldowns. Just just not. So the evidence to me, which uh, I'm going to bring to you from this article is so back and forth. So believe whatever you will. However, I, I find it difficult to get behind the idea that more work is aiding recovery in most of the athletic populations out there, like from youth, high school, and even at the collegiate level, right? I mean, cross country, I think is uh, one of the most egregious offenders in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just the fact that you go and run and then you cool down by running more, more. by putting, yeah, by putting more mileage on, right? (laughs) I mean, sure. It may be at a less intensity, but it's still right work technically. So, um, that, that's one of the things that just gets me off, off the bat. So, um, types of cooldowns we mentioned were active and passive. So active here in this type of, uh, in this review here, it was like moving, jogging, walking, biking, could have been doing exercise in water. They considered that uh, part of active cooldown. And then passive was more so related to sitting, standing, laying, doing things that you're not really moving around, right? You're just mm-hmm. there recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, I already mentioned the the other recovery modalities not included. So uh, cool downs for everyone. Uh, if you've never done a cool down before, uh, typically done following exercise practice or competition. Um, and at times cool downs can be labeled active recovery sessions, like on a following day. So it doesn't necessarily have to be hours after the athletic event. It could be... Um, it could be what I would consider to be like an active recovery session too. Like I don't, I don't see a lot of benefit in those things either. So just moving here, like why would you need a cool down? Like why would you ever do it? Um, I feel like a lot of the times because 
they believe or have been told that the benefit would occur, right? Like there is some benefit to doing a cool down. So this study looked at those benefits and kind of classified it in a sweet little graph if you ever, uh, if you go click on the link, right? So like there are psychophysiological uh, effects, like uh, it removes lactate. Um, these are things that people have been told or they believe that, you know, cool downs do like muscle adaptation, like uh, reduce soreness, uh, increases range of motion, um, has like mood um, and sleep effects, right? Can um, help with your sports performance, can reduce injuries, can uh, help balance your hormones, uh, aid in the um, success of your immune system, you know, and, and the ways that they do this are like low intensity exercise or um, biking, swimming, um, and then some like stretching or foam rolling are also some things that could be included in, in an active, uh, active cool down. So out of all those things that we talk about there, um, there's a big breakdown of research that's happening here, but basically what the research is saying that is it's not doing what you think it is, right? In most of the studies, there is small, small, like trivial or no benefit or no like observed benefit. Um, now I mentioned before, there's a lot of different uh, populations that happen here, like um, athletes, um, resistance trained students, exercise science students, uh, elite athletes, um, you know, people who are playing different sports, people who don't play sports. And um, all, all this stuff is kind of thrown out there. I mean, obviously you cannot give every single situation ever in life and put it in a research study because it'll never happen. Right. But you can just give these, this information. Obviously this is what's great about uh, reviews like this or meta analysis uh, of research is that they can put so many things together. Um, so you get different populations and see how that happens, but there's not research really one way or another, like overwhelmingly, like high significance uh, to to say that it benefits you in one area or another. Okay, um, there's there's also many studies in here, or some studies, I guess I'll say that are that have negative effects, and they had some small negative effects in a lot of um, in a lot of studies, and then they definitely had detriments in some other studies too. Um, but the one area that I will give credit to is um, there's a physiological effect of uh, blood lactate removal. Okay, that there was there's like greater than 18 studies um, that had a significant benefit. So if that's something that you think you want from a cool down, then maybe that's okay for you, right? Like maybe that has a little more research back than, than anything else, right? Um, but if you don't know what blood lactate is or why it would be, why acidosis would be bad or harmful after an exercise, you, you need to learn, you need to learn about that a little bit more uh, before you just go, do a cool down because it, it removes blood lactate. You know, you should really know, uh, what's happening there and, and whether or not your athletes are even experiencing that based on the event that you just did. So um, really to be said, I, I think that you're, gosh, this, this is the point that I made about um, static stretching. I think you're wasting your time by doing it because one, if you don't know why you're doing it, then that's just a dumb reason to do it. If you just say, 
if it's like one of those, oh, it can't hurt type of thing. Well, that's dumb. Like do something that's actually worth your time. How about practice more? Because this is saying that cool downs don't really uh, aid you in recovery, right? Like sometimes they have negative performance outcomes that happen after the active cool down. So in in theory here and in, in uh, shown in some studies that you could be negatively affecting the performance um, of your athletes by doing that, right? Like it just depends on what you do. And uh, to be fair, it, it depends on the, the population. So another thing the study really revealed is that if you're not an elite level athlete, these things probably don't benefit you in the way that you think. Only the elite level athletes, I think it was soccer, was mostly the uh, the ones that benefited from an active cool down, had really high fitness levels. So if you're not a really high fitness level person or an elite athlete, you're probably wasting your time with a cool down, right? And it's not even guaranteed that doing cool downs helps you become an elite athlete. So um, that, that's also not a study that was done though, right? To To show like, this helped them become that. And also longevity wise, it's not, it's not been shown to promote more flexibility, promote more health injuries were, uh, not reduced or prevented in a significant way, um, from all of these studies, um, and the ones that they looked at. So, um, it's not saying that if you do active cool downs over time, you're going to become a better athlete or be healthier. Um, so I, I again, I, I think you're wasting your time if that's something that you believe because it felt good when you did it as an athlete or you were told to do it or you learned from a coach who always did it and you just thought it was great, you know, but I, I mean, things change, right? More information comes out and, and you have to be able to make those changes with it, whether or not it it fits your, uh, what do they call that philosophy at the time, right? It, if new information comes out, you know, like do things better and and move, move on with the new information. So uh, Claire, I'm gonna let you get a question mm-hmm. in here uh, before I keep going. Yeah, I, so I guess I don't necessarily have a specific question, but I do think that it is important to it was important to note that um lactate removal point but at the same time i think it's also important to note that um a lot of the times these athletes aren't doing practices or um games that are necessarily so close together that it would warrant needing to remove that lactate faster so while that could be a positive benefit of doing an active cool down, again, it may not necessarily be a necessity to remove that lactate faster because most of the time you're not engaging in activity as quickly as it would be that you're removing that, if that makes sense, um, yeah, which yeah. is what it said. But um, And also, obviously, acidosis is an issue, um, but there are other factors that play into that as well, not just blood lactate levels. Um, But I was, so I did see that, you know, there's obviously the subjects of these studies are kind of all over the place, which I think it's good to have a variety and see, um, see what's happening in in different types of athletes, different types of sports. Um, But I did notice that the subject size the study the sample size they were all very small which is something i think that we've talked about before in a podcast that is not necessarily ideal in any study because if you have a larger sample size you can make more assumptions that that would 
relate to more of the population. But at the same time, um, I think it is great that there are a lot of different um, modalities in terms of sport. There are different ages. There are different levels. So I think that gives a little bit better of a picture of what might be happening across the board. But I do think that's important to point out is some of these like are nine people or 20 people, 11 people. So it's not a huge sample size from any of these studies. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you think huge, huge is because I mean, there's a 40 group, there's a 31 group, uh, like a 34. There's, there's a couple like plus 30, which mm-hmm. I think is a good size. Uh, but, but then again, you're taking a grain of salt because here's a 34 recreationally active males. Like, I mean, right. if you're working with athletes, doesn't necessarily give you what you want, I guess. And mm-hmm. then like some, some of the collegiate studies are, are also like, maybe they're not the sport that you played in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one off the top of my head. There's one, uh, study that dealt with, um, like division one athletes that played a court sport. I don't think it was volleyball. I think it was something else. Right. Mm-hmm. And it said that they did jogging as a cool down and it had negative effects now. So, so yeah, it probably did because that court sport was a power sport and now they're doing things that aren't necessarily in the realm of what they would typically do on the court right so they yeah they were probably a little fatigued by doing a five minute jog you know that's not necessarily in their energy system for their sport so right um i mean if it was a five minute i don't remember specifically which one it is but um could have been 15 could have been five plus five of something else plus five of something else but like so it it depends right on what the whole sample size is uh, what sport they play and what they choose to do and, and what mm-hmm. the sport demands are. So, I mean, I think that that's an important, uh, fact to point out is that it's not, it's not, um, always going to line up exactly with your situation. Um, mm-hmm. you just ha- kind of have to take this, um, in stride. Uh, I will say another thing about the blood lactate is they mentioned in the study that, Blood lactate is not always the best marker for muscle damage. And that mm-hmm. um, in this article, like it, it didn't, uh, the muscle tissue lactate um, was about 50-50 on small yeah. significant, but they also had a non-significant and then they had a harmful study um, that kind of split the two there. So it was more so leaning towards it doesn't matter or it could be harmful to you. Um mm-hmm. Uh, as far as muscle, uh, the, the lactate that's actually within the muscle and not just in your blood. So right, those are no two different, two different areas there. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that was important to, to point out as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with any research, um, this is my opinion that obviously research is important. I think it's a necessity to be up to date with those recommendations. Um, and obviously every it's things are always evolving. It's science. Things are never concrete. Um, so I think that that's important, but I think it's also great that you mentioned, you know, obviously not all of these studies are going to be exactly your sport or your conditions or your age or your, um, training level. So as coaches and professionals, it's important to be up to date on the research, but also be able to interpret it and apply it in a practical sense to the athletes that you're working with. Um, And I know we talk about, I, I know I say this all the time, but in a nutrition, from a nutrition perspective, 
the research could say that an athlete needs X, Y, and Z. And because of their individual circumstances, X, Y, and Z aren't going to work for them. And we need to do ABC. So I think that's important to note too, is while maybe broadly speaking, cool downs are probably not super necessary, maybe for a couple of outliers, they do improve performance and that needs to be looked at on an individual basis. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And um, one, one thing about that individual basis thing was a, a lot of these, uh, well, one of the studies I think was based on how they perceived they felt afterwards. So it's mm-hmm. like, it felt like to them, it just felt good. Yeah. And that, that helped them, you know, psychologically, I guess at that point. So it may be something that some people choose to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as a practitioner, uh, looking at what's beneficial, what's, you know, uh, as they say, best bang for your buck or worth your time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that, that may be an individual strategy, like you said, where people are able to do that on their own, maybe giving information about that afterwards, but not necessarily for the, for the team setting. Yeah. I would say. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um, you mentioned something earlier about maybe instead of doing a cool down, just do like practice for longer or something in that sense. Do you think there's something like in place of a cool down that teams could do maybe at like the end of a practice that would be beneficial, but also kind of maybe serve as something to like lower their heart rate. That's not a cool down. I I mean, I always just suggest people walk around, just, Mm -hmm. just walk. Like, uh, I don't know if it's a certain distance or if you're on one side of the field, walk to the other, or, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe finish practice far away from, your belongings and then, you know, finish it. And you guys just walk over there. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that that's, that was, yeah, like that would suffice for this situation. Um, okay. gosh, I was going to say something before I got, sorry. Dang. Um, yeah, I know, but it, I think it was back on the other topic there. Uh, oh no, 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 no. About practice here. So one thing I, I, one thing I would suggest, um, is wherever, whatever time you allotted for your cool down, I would add that into the beginning of your practice, whenever you do like your skill development stuff, just add more time to your skill development, right? And then when you get to maybe your more competitive, high intensity part of your practice, keep that time the same, but just shift it down, right? So you're not like necessarily adding a ton of physical stress by increasing the amount of time that you do high intensity, high volume competition Mm -hmm. type of reps, but maybe you're developing, you're helping develop those skills a little bit more and allowing yourself that extra, I don't know, 15 minutes or whatever you've allotted for cool down. I think that that would, I think that would be way more beneficial Okay, based on the, based on the research. Yeah. What I, how I'm interpreting it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good suggestion that, I don't know, coaches try it out, see what happens. I don't, you know, if obviously, like we said, if there is the overall consensus of like kids feel like they're not recovering better or they feel worse or performance suffers, okay, then maybe it needs to be reevaluated, but it's worth a try to see. And then maybe that would be beneficial in that you're giving your kids a little bit more time to spend developing these sports specific skills, um, which are obviously beneficial regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also another good strategy is to, uh, maybe spend more time in your warm up <laughs> on mm-hmm. the, uh, spend more time on your dynamic warm up at the beginning. If, if mm-hmm. you can allot some time differently throughout practice, yeah. um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about here for sport performance, um, was that it was also like, uh, I'm sorry, on the chart, we have 
in the study, it's in the blue, meaning that there is really no significant difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so same day performance, next day performance, there's really no difference between those two. So again, like if it, if it's not any, if it's not improving, you know, anything, why, why, why would you waste your time? Why would you right. just use your time for that? But, um, I wanted to note the foam rolling piece of this was at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, one study in particular, um, looked at foam rolling following soccer practice. So mm-hmm. here's here's one thing I think is interesting here is it it was showed to improve agility performance, the perception of recovery, and reduced muscle soreness in mm-hmm. professional soccer players, right? Mm-hmm. So foam rolling post practice shown to improve that, right? So improved agility agility performance, right? However, it did not significantly improve uh flexibility or five and 10 meter sprint. So their short yarded sprint was not mm-hmm. improved, but their agility performance was improved. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just think that's, that's fascinating how they didn't improve in flexibility and they couldn't accelerate better, but they could change direction better. And they felt like they recovered and weren't as sore. Yeah. Um, so it, they were, they were suggesting that it may facilitate recovery from exercise, but of course more research is needed. Yeah. Um, as usual, but I feel like that psychological piece is, Im- is important because if you feel better, I think a lot of the times you are more in tune with, okay, I can push harder or I can, um, you know, maybe go a little bit more aggressive in this practice or I can give a little more. So I think that part is important because a lot of times we, I think, overthink things or overanalyze things. And if we're a little sore, if we feel like a little less recovered, then maybe we're not so inclined to perform in practice the same that we would if we felt less sore or more recovered. So I think that that's important too. I noticed that with just more of the um, like wearables that show recovery. Um, Like I know I've seen like anecdotal stuff with the wearable says you're in the red and you're not ready to perform. And psychologically that influences how you show up to practice or a game. Whereas if it's green, you're like, okay, great. I'm rested. I'm ready to go. And then if you take it off and you're technically in the red, but you have no idea and you show up to practice and you're like, wow, I had a really good practice. And then you look and you're in the red, you know, it's just kind of this like psychological factor that I feel like is important to to note, um, because if you, you know, foam rolled and did all these things and you were in the red, you'd probably maybe psychologically feel a little different about the foam rolling versus if some wearable said that you were fully recovered. Yeah, I agree. Um, sometimes like I get mixed reviews on that, right? Like some of those wearables are actually really in tune with your body and give you good metrics. Right. Um, and some don't, Uh, and, and you made a great point. Like if you see that number, it affects the way that you perceive what you just did or Mm -hmm. what you feel like you need to do. Right. Yeah. And so you either become for or against that thing that you may have tried for recovery because it didn't help Mm -hmm. you. Right. Like, I don't know there, I think there are so many other factors and that's why some coaches are really smart when they have wearables, they don't share the information with people like on game days or like competition times. Um, so, so that they don't get psyched out by that information that says maybe they're in the red, you know, but they don't really need to know that and focus on that. They need to focus on what they're about to do. Right. And the coaches can make those types of decisions for them. Um, Mm -hmm. my, my, I, uh, 
again, I still agree that, you know, individual basis based on this article, it, it, it just varies uh, case by case, right? Whether it's a specific uh, sport team, you know, at the time, or it's an individual, like, I think if you're going to do it, it should be on an individual basis. And my suggestion for coaches is don't put it in your team practice unless every single person on your team, like is like needs it psychologically. Right. But Mm -hmm. at that point I would just make a reminder at the end of practice, like, Hey, make sure, you know, if you need to cool down, you, you go ahead and and do that cool down. And I don't know, do your best research to provide something for them or they can, provide themselves with whatever makes them psychologically psychologically feel better because yeah. I mean that, that's that's part of the game right you have to feel good about yourself and feel good about what you're doing in order to have confidence and and continue to um you know have that positive mindset towards everything you're doing with that sport and with that organization and with your teammates yeah. and stuff so i think that's an important thing is, is to have that that uh, beneficial uh constructive mindset as well. Yeah. And it's important maybe to remind those athletes that are maybe having a hard time. If let's say you're used to doing cool downs and you're experimenting and you take the cool downs away or you stop doing the cool downs, maybe remind those athletes that are having a hard time making that adjustment that there are a plethora of other factors that play into their recovery that they can control and they can focus on during maybe that experimental time period. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, jump back to something really quickly. I think it's at the beginning of this article where they mentioned the energy system of the sports that um, uh, that were involved mostly in these studies, right? Besides the untrained, like normal population people, obviously, right? But they, they were mentioning that they needed more research on for, for endurance, right? And those types of sports, which mm-hmm. I find fascinating because Cross country and, and swimming, like they do that quite a bit. Um, also, speaking of swimming, they found that I, I think every single study that had a water active cooldown was a no go on results. Mm-hmm. Like nothing beneficial from that, which was yeah. interesting to me. That you know that uh, what are they? That hydrostatic environment did nothing for them um, in in form of recovery. So. Uh, I also thought that was interesting as well, where they look, they were looking at mostly like power, intermittent power type of sports, mm-hmm. um, as far as recovery goes. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just fascinating. This, I think this is a good study or a good review overall of these different articles mm-hmm. and, and where the benefits may lie. But uh, yeah, again, I think there, yeah, go ahead. If you say, I think there was like one article enveloped in this whole thing that was like in in like long distance runners male long distance runners but there was just one so obviously you can't base all endurance athletes off of that one right. study in 10 men yeah 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 so i mean of course you got there were studies like um uh, they they had elite weightlifters and their cooldown was like an ergometer so they were rowing right like that's not even the not even their sport right and right. of course of course, they're they're seeing uh, um, decreases in power output after that, right? I mean, a lot of them were doing like counter movement jumps and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, of course, you're going to see some stuff like that. So, uh, it's just really interesting to to see that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Another one, I'll mention this is a positive one. So I'll mention this. And it, it was a moderate um, result from this study. So there were 18 physically active men. And what they did for their fatiguing element was uh, bilateral leg press, 10 sets of 10 at 70% of their 1RM, right? And their active cool down was bilateral leg press, 10 sets of 10 at 30% of their 1RM uh, with a five-minute passive rest between sets. Okay. So they had a, a counter movement jump increase of 33%. I will say this though. I think it was, I think it's crazy that they did 10 sets of 10, right? Yeah. But, but they also had five minutes of passive rest between sets. They had at least 45 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Is my math right there? If you do nine resting set, nine uh, resting sets of five minutes in between, that's mm-hmm. 45 minutes of rest at 30%. Yeah. It's possible that this is like a uh, a speed type of workout for them, right? Where they went 10 sets of 10 at 70, maybe had some like post-activation potentiation. I don't know what the rest was on the 10 sets of 10 at 70%. Doesn't list it in the chart, right? I'd have to go look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to do the 10 to 10 at 30, have five minutes of rest in between your sets. That's a decent amount of rest. Yeah. Does it? I mean, to say that's an active cooldown, how long do you think those 10 reps took at 30%, right? Less than a minute. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 30, less than 30 seconds, maybe? Yeah, maybe 20 seconds. So the work to rest ratio is heavily skewed towards rest. It's almost not even, it's almost not even an active cooldown at that point. It's almost like your secondary workout at that point, right? Where you went from, um, Heavy, higher intensity to lower intensity and, and maybe had more of a speed, uh, focus on there. You know, who's to say right. what their intent was and did that affect the counter movement jump? You know, right. like I, I would need to go back and read the study in particular, yeah. but what they're giving me right here. Ah, man, I don't know. That, that one seems very skewed yeah. towards what they're calling quote unquote active recovery or an active cooldown. Right. Right. And who works out like that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like who, no, who but- does. Yeah, who does their active cooldown as ten more sets of ten, but just at a really low weight? Right. Uh, I mean that that to me was really um, specific, and I, I don't know. It, it it seems a little off of what you would normally do for an active cooldown. Mm-hmm. Like no youth club soccer organization is going to do, you know, leg press after you know leg press uh, session. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, oh, leg press after leg press or leg press, you know, after a session, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but I mean, I think another thing you look at is the people who are doing running and then going to do running after that, um, it's not showing any benefits. So if you're in a, if you're in a sport that's moving and then, you know, do more moving, then you're probably not, um, probably not going to use your active cooldown. But I guess if you're in a sport where you're doing, you know, uh, both legs on leg press for 10 sets of 10, then this would be benefit to you. Uh, or if you're in a sport where you don't run a lot, but you need to have a higher vertical or um, a max power output. Like maybe that's okay to do, right? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the thing was all over the place, but I mean, uh, really to kind of wrap up everything in particular, um, research is not on the side of active cooldowns. Um, really small like benefits here and there. Again, we talked about they favor specific groups and it's not always guaranteed that your group or you fit into that category that it favors so you may and that's great if you do um but 
you just need to do a little more research on it um, as a coach, as an athlete. And if you're an athlete and it feels like you you feel better when you do that and psychologically you've seen, I don't know, if you've seen your performance at least stay the same and not take a dip, then maybe you're one of those people who needs to do a cool down on your own afterwards because it just helps you be in a better mental state right after that. But uh, for practitioners out there, coaches, especially like cross country soccer coaches. I know a lot of soccer coaches all over the country do cool downs right after games and stuff. It's you're not doing the protocol to be fair of any of these um, articles. Cause a lot of these articles are like 15, 20 minutes plus on the cool down. I doubt you're doing 15, 20 minutes plus on the cool down. I bet your cool down is like five, 10 minutes, 10 minutes max. I mean, I'm being very generous with that. Yeah. So I, I just think you're wasting your time. Your athletes, like I said, they could walk to the other side of the field, give the fans a wave and a thank you for coming and then walk back. And then you do your, your post game talk at that point, you know? So, um, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for it again. Um, yeah, no, no benefits and in, in not really any benefits in soreness, uh, not really any benefits in neuromuscular, muscular activity. So like your, your, body's ability to function or produce force through your muscles, not really improved by by that at all. So Mm -hmm. I I would just say, do away with cool downs, do more skill development, um, or just spend more time, you know, actually talking about the game or, or I don't know, letting people go so they can go to sleep. If it's a late game, you know, sleep is better than doing a cool down hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that perspective. I think that's important to, you know, look at this research share share your perspective kind of share maybe something that's not commonly or widely accepted and like you were saying at the beginning and like we always kind of like to mention this is what we're seeing this is what this research says obviously look into it for yourself form your own opinion um but this is just the perspective that zach is bringing us today and i think that that's important to be open to different perspectives and um, maybe try it out. Try out, see how you feel without a cool down and maybe try and focus on other forms of recovery or other um, aspects of recovery and, and work maybe more on some skills that you're lacking in and see what happens. Yeah, uh, last thought that I leave everybody with, common practice is not always best practice. So just make sure you have a reason for yeah. what you're doing, you know. Same thing in everything. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you on the next one. See ya.